Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we are going to celebrate 2020 vision. Woo! Happy New Year. We need it to be a radically different kind of year. And if we're not off to best start politically, still we're visioning a, a new beginning. Right. A new beginning. The end of Star Wars. An end to Star Wars, end but Star there Wars. isn't an end to Star Wars until there's an end to Disney's revenue from <laughs> Star Wars. But we're not talking about that. We're going to talk about beginnings, resolutions, visioning. Yes. But first, what are you working on, Angie? Well, recently I've been working on a series of job applications, <laughs> but also I've been working on, I've been really enjoying this app called Brilliant. And it lets you engage with mathematical puzzles. And so you end up moving into these areas that you may not feel super confident in, but you're accidentally good at math. And so it's really fun. I don't know if a lot of people are accidentally good at math. I think they are. Or if you just are. Well, as a big believer of growth mindset and from the research I've been doing recently, um, I think there's really something to be said for moving something that feels daunting and overwhelming out of the categorization that you define as outside of your reach and just deciding like, okay, I'm not going to be like the best person ever at math. What I'm going to be is a person who's curious and you may end up accidentally exceeding your own expectations by removing the, you know, naming is so important. It's so valuable in so many ways. It's how we take on things and, oh, this person now has a diagnosis. So suddenly everything makes more sense. Um, and yet with something like I'm a person who, uh, it's more, I think, that limiting limiting to say I'm a person who is not good at math rather than saying engaged, right because there's the whole Seth Godin people like us do things like this and people like us are curious and to own <laughs> that curiouser and curiouser curious. <laughs> absolutely Maybe that's our title all right I'm taking notes well, yes you well are. we go that's that's one thing I'm doing is I'm live not quite tweeting uh <laughs> this this podcast um, okay. Do you want to know what I'm working on? I do. I think you're working on the notes. So I got notes on my book again. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to say this to everybody. Like the first, when you get notes, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, it's always wonderful to have brilliant readers reading your work. And also the first reaction that I think everybody has to notes is like a slightly crushing disappointment that it's not perfect already. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's part of creativity. And either you think it's terrible or you think it's wonderful, but you're hoping either way that someone else will come in and say it's done. Oh, no, no. You're done. It's done. This is, You did it. So that didn't happen. Um, and you'll be delighted to know that I'm thinking. So I'm first of all, I'm moving slowly through reading the manuscript mm -hmm. and I'm highlighting problematic areas and I'm thinking about emotional consistency. Mm-hmm. And not surprisingly, the more new parts, because there's like, you know, 750th draft work mixed in with 
like 1.5 draft work. Mm. 1.5 draft work is... And let's just take a quick moment to really clarify what you're saying okay. here. Okay, you clarify. Because you've been working on this project. You've had, you know, you were able to land a wonderful agent. You're doing all this work. And yet, when you say 750th draft, like you've really been working this particular project a lot. Yeah. And part of working your project isn't just doing like a million drafts, but to sort of break out that some parts of your draft will have been reviewed, thought about, and polished. So you, you've got basically marble kind of mixed in with gravel. Yeah. And so you're now needing to get those gravelly bits up to the polish machine. And it's like I'm walking barefoot across it when I read it. Mm. And so what happens is I go, oh, ow, 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 ow. Right. And then I highlight it for cutting or changing or working Mm. on. And the fantastic thing is editing. Like I can make it better. Absolutely. And I can recognize. That's why you have sections that are that polished marble. Right. And and, and so, you know, and I can recognize um, what, Needs changing if, and this is the part you always say and I always ignore, I give it time. Mm-hmm. So my actual plan is to do this pass and then to give it to you to read mm-hmm. and then to work on something else. The yes. other novel probably because it turns out that I just kind of love to read novels and I love to write novels. I mean, I may write other stuff too, but that's my my heart of hearts. Mm-hmm. So that might be what I work on. And maybe I'll write this essay and whatever. And I... I... And then, I'm glad you're finally listening to me. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> and then after you read it and I've taken that time, then I will take your notes and then I will freaking reread it again. Mm-hmm. And then, and I'm, I am trying not to change it just because I'd like to read a new book. Yeah. So I think there's one of the things you're actually talking about and I think is sort of interesting as we look at a new year is that you may be working on old projects. And what you just brought up, the idea of changing because your own discomfort with what's already there, how do you hold a fresh eye over a period of time, yeah. right? And, you know, everybody has trouble with it. I mean, it's it's just uh, you, you aren't going to get your best reader um, who has already read it. You know, that's just true. But some people are really good at it anyway. <laughs> so, all right. So that's me. Mm-hmm. My That's what I'm working on. I'm also, you know, I'm doing morning pages. That's like part of my New Year's resolution. I mean, I always do, but um, when I always do something, so I'm, I'm pretty good at being disciplined and habitual, mm-hmm. but I always... You are habitually disciplined. But I always have the voice always have the voice that says wouldn't it be fun to not do the thing you're supposed to do what do you mean like okay i'm going to write three pages because that's what i do wouldn't it be fun not to okay i'm going to go exercise wouldn't it be fun not to i Mm. always have the voice that says wouldn't it be fun not to do that thing that you're supposed to do okay yeah you you don't know what i'm talking about well, you are one of the most rigorously disciplined people. <laughs> you're like, what do you mean supposed to do? <laughs> so, yeah, you're in a different, I don't know what you're talking about, uh, kind of kind of place. But it's, it, that's a waste of my time. And honestly, if I, if I could commit to certain things, 
that I did and certain things that I just didn't do and not decide every friggin' day. Okay. Three pages. Okay. Exercise. I think that is one of those things where, and I think we're kind of, you know, I'm glad we're actually doing sort of a New Year's thing because we set up these expectations about what we should do. And I think there's a pretty huge difference between what you should do and what you have to do and, you know, what you actually need to do. And I think (laughs) those are all not exactly the same thing. Um, I'm reminded of, there was an Atlantic article, gosh, years and years ago, sort of about the quality of life for indigenous people before Europeans came. <laughs> and it, a, a wee bit better. And and interestingly, you know, there were, it was responding to an anthropological article at the time that was sort of talking about how many hours a day for subsistence did a given um, community yeah. work. And, and it turned out it was like four. Right. It's like how much you should write. Yeah. Like if you were writing full time because, you know, you, I don't know, are either making a living or pretending you're making a living writing. Four hours a day is like a pretty solid. I want to see day. if I can find the cover because I remember being quite struck by the image, you know, and it was questionable because it was a long time ago, etc. People weren't as sensitive as in, and enlightened as we are now. But what they really <laughs> did was sort of juxtapose, you know, what you what, what our vision of what it means to be subsistence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, so they would have, they had a so picture. Just to clarify, because I'm taking notes, mm-hmm. subsistence versus hunters and gatherers. Hunters and gatherers is kind of a, we don't use that language anymore. <laughs> uh, you don't. <laughs> um, subsistence, what's the noun? Well, because, because what's the noun? Just... Subsistence livers. <laughs> well, I mean, subs- what I mean is, and especially in this particular article they were referring to people who are very migratory who are following the uh, patterns of you know following where food is essentially right all right i've got migratory subsistence people yes we'll work on that <laughs> but we're, we're doing this at what we call the 11th hour Anywho, what I wanted to say is the thing that I was struck by was the juxtaposition of the images of what we would call someone who's living at a subsistence mm-hmm. level, and they were wearing like Rolexes, right? So they're showing the indigenous people. It's totally photoshopped. It was a drawing, and it was the <laughs> '80s or whatever it was. In but the '80s, what they called photo, what we call Photoshop, they called drawing. drawing. I know. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, what I was really interested in is looking at is like the juxtaposition of those two ideas. And we have, we carry with us what does it mean to be uh, productive? What does it mean to be someone who's contributing? What does it mean to be all of these ideas that we carry with us, especially in a society that is defined around how able are you to consume? How able are you to produce? And so Mm. looking at this image that really juxtaposed this idea of subsistence living, but with a high quality of life, right? So that Rolex that was hanging from this person's wrist was an indication of like, you know, they had a super high quality of life in certain ways, right? So this this was the discussion in the article. I'm not arguing for or against the article. Put this article in the show notes? I will. Well, no, you need no. Will you really 
We might. I will find it. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Say maybe. Anyway. Um, so when we look at things like deep work and we see overlap, right? We see that for things like deep work, and what we mean by that, again, going to Cal Newport and thinking about the how much time can you really focus deeply mm-hmm. on a single project to get to that place where it really moves beyond the balancing attention that we all have. His number is roughly four hours. Like that's <laughs> how long. So you, it's interesting to think about as we as we plan our sort of new year and we set these I- ideas about what we should be doing, you know, there's a whole bunch of history within your own DNA that's going to say, actually, this is how much time you have in a given day to really give that kind of focus. So I think what I'm saying is for people who have like corporate jobs, you know, really focus there for a solid three hours (laughs) and then, you know, really do a lot of meetings and (laughs) other things and then come home and save that hour for yourself. And then you have a high quality, high quality return on investment. So I read an article, which will probably not be in the show notes because I don't really know if I can track it down. It was probably in the New York Times suggesting that, you know, in 10 years, people will not be walking around face down in their phones. Mm -hmm. That this is sort of a phase we're going through. From 10 years ago? (sighs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) But, you know, bell bottoms. I don't know. What, What I'm trying to say is... Um, the truth is, I remember that you and I went to see live theater, and the truth is we not only had gone through the digital revolution, but we'd also then had toddlers, so we were bogged down in mm-hmm. not experiencing a lot of live anything, like human interaction. Not even our own lives. <laughs> Each other, theater. But it was miraculous. I mean, the mm-hmm. idea of this is this show that is only happening in this way, this time, mm-hmm. right now, for this little group of people. And it was kind of this great show at, right. at Main Stage West in, in Sebastopol. Sebastopol. Um, and um, and so, uh, oh boy. What? Well, I just <laughs> tried to type that in. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it turns out that multitasking is an illusion. Um, but anyway, um, so... I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, the idea that we can be constantly connect connected is already, I would propose starting to wear thin. Like I'm realizing how hooked in I am. Like mm-hmm. I want that little thing, but that little thing, that little adrenaline rush is really quite unrewarding in the end, which is why you want it again and again and again. Right. And so. It's like a cigarette. Yeah. Although cigarettes sure haven't like, I mean, they've disappeared in certain ways. So like that's a kind of an interesting analogy because. In our younger youth, because we're, you know, in our middle youth, um, (laughs) in our younger youth, you know, people were smoking all over the place, Mm -hmm. especially in Europe. Right. And now it's like you can't even smoke in a bar. Right. So it's maybe cell phones will go like that. It'll be like, yeah, people still do it. But they're not doing it like walking down the street. They're not doing it at work. In a bar. They're not doing it in a bar. They're not doing it at work. They're not doing it in a date during a date. It's going to be like cigarettes. Okay. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. All right. I, you mentioned Deep Work. Uh-huh. Really inspiring. I finally read it. See, more taking your <laughs> advice. It's amazing. Yay. Yeah. Maybe maybe in this episode, you can offer me one piece of advice you would like me to take. Because you've, you've told me you want me to slow down in my creative mm-hmm. process, revision process. 
Well, it's not really that. And, and ironically, like you and give hysteria. you give the same advice to other people. So it's, and other people, so. and, yeah, and other people give it, reject it all the time. It's just it's there's you know going back to the Barbara Oakley, you're right. There's a time when you are so focused that you're really going down the same paths over and over in your uh, brain. Right. So you've got these cognitive circuits and you're go- when you're super focused, you're going through the same paths over and over. And you need to get into a diffuse mode where you are saying um, by not focusing on anything in particular, I'm not going to use my energy in these grooves that have been really dug deeply. What I'm going to do is allow my brain to jump between my different circuits to see if there's a way that these things start to kind of, if there's a relationship that can be built between these circuits. Which reminds me of the Michael Pollan book. Okay. Um, about psychedelic drugs. Okay. Do you, what's that called? Do you remember? Uh, something about changing your mind? Yeah. Something, I'm. Mean, it's going to be in the show notes. Um, and, and it's going to be amazing. I read part of it. It turns out I read only partially. In nonfiction. Really? I read, you know, like 60 novels a year and a handful of short stories and some poetry and like partial excerpts from Uh. nonfiction. But, um, although I did read all of Becoming Michelle Obama. Okay. Um, But that was, you know, had a strongly narrative. It's called How to Change Your Mind. Yeah, that book. Mm -hmm. So... Which I think I got for you. Yeah, which I'm I'm so excited to read the rest of it. <laughs> but <laughs> Anytime But now. part of what he talks about, and this is like really from the New Yorker article that happened before the book, and it's super vague in my mind now, but it's like this idea of like the controlling kind of overview mind. I don't, I'm not remembering the language right, but mm. that, that kind of that kind of moderates the other the conversations amongst the other parts of the mind and, mm-hmm. and kind of and controls them. Yeah. And that what psychedelics do is sort of lift that away and let these other parts of the mind converse and bounce off each other and like have a party together. Right. So you're and de- very diffuse both. Extremely diffuse, like thrillingly diffuse. Like, oh now I'm not afraid of death anymore diffuse. Right. That's Ooh, what happens yeah, no, yeah, there. Yeah. yeah that's but great. also I mean maybe I'm not always cognizant of what keeps me alive is the other, the right, downside, right, right. the downside, okay. right? But I, I'm never that out of control. It just turns out. <laughs> so, all right. So okay. deep work, diffuse mode. Yeah, I think for you know, if you were wanted to go back to the advice piece, it's just. I think it's true for everyone. Like when you are just working so hard, if you imagine that your attention is sandpaper <laughs> and you're actually wearing away stuff by over-focusing. I feel nubbly. Yeah. So, okay, but that's the advice you already gave that now I'm taking. Are I'm you wa- taking it? I totally am. I'm reading like two pages a day of my manuscript. Okay. And then I'm going to give it to you and not not like shove it back at my, my professional crew. I mean, you're professional too but and what are you going to do in that time and then i'm going to work on the other book okay and i'm going to do like the stuff we teach in book in a year how far are you willing to go with my creative suggestion well i don't know because it takes me a while to become an adopter because I'm going to actually suggest something radical. Okay. So I'm not going to accept or reject it this <laughs> podcast, but I'll report in next week. Okay. Okay. I would actually encourage you to do something that's not writing. 
Instead? Not, I mean, you look, you're always going to work on writing. That's who you are. That's what you do. That's what gives you joy. Okay. And I think that if you were to connect with something that was not the thing you're supposed to be amazing at, but you were allowing yourself to have that real beginner's mind at something else. Mm, you don't math. <laughs> you don't have I'm going to get a PhD in math while I'm waiting go. for you to read my my novel. <laughs> there you go. But that you don't have an investment in being the expert. You know, it's interesting because I had this, you know, moment where I realized, okay, we need to spend the, the next, you know, 8 months focusing on saving the world, like right, like mm. h- hardcore. Right. And and I realized I had like zero ego investment. Like uh-huh. if it could happen without me, that would be fabulous. If I could impact it in some positive way that I would never, ever be known for, that would be fabulous. Like I have no need to have any, I, I feel a strong need to have an impact and like zero need to have any recognition. Although I will say that I'm probably not succeeding much at having an impact. So that may be problematic <laughs> to not You're have a really tie into okay ego. With having no... <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, but that would be my main thing for you really is to, to, to go back to that beginner's mind. And I, I, it would be fun to do. I mean, well, film is sort of that for me, right? Like film is something that, you know, it's like, it's kind of, I mean, it's exciting that I produced a, an award-winning film that you wrote and direct and co-produced mm-hmm. with me. But, um, you know, I really did some real work there, but it was, it was slightly more like administrative and maybe than like totally creative. Um, but whatever, that's fun, but I don't, I don't even think it has to be like, I, it has to be creative. I mean, the, here's the thing that I think is really interesting. Well, I mean, there's, there's something there's you're, cleaning the house. I but you're not that. a beginner at that. You are I not a beginner. I'm a that. beginner at that. I have to say my hairdresser, Renee uh-huh. was talking to me about how she showed her kids, you know, when uh-huh. they were young, right. how to clean that, what was then their apartment. Right. Uh huh. That, that she like, they followed her for a few weeks as you know, every week she cleaned the apartment room by mm-hmm. room and da, da, da. And so they knew what to do. And it's not that they're brilliant at it, but they know what to do. And they know, you know, if she's going to say no, you have to do it over again or whatever. And I realized, like, I have never been taught that. Right. I have never followed someone around learning. Mm. You know, and mm-hmm. um, I kind of want to. And I think maybe your mom might be the person <laughs> to ask. <laughs> well, they didn't quite inculcate me, so there's that. Um, no, I know. Well, that's that's encouraging to me, actually, that, that, that your wonderful parents didn't, like, succeed in making you a, a neat and clean person and that, therefore, my failure to do that for my kids is, you know, it's like you can't. You can't really shape no. another person no. by being good at something. So when we are looking... <laughs> For how to share with our listening community. Yeah. We're talking about the new year. So I think mine is find the places where you can be a beginner again. And if writing is that place, then be gentle with yourself, right? Like there's there's no reason we should accept uh, the weird voices in our head that tell us we should be better. Well, and, and I want to say that one of the things that's great about writing and one of the reasons why I think amazing people who are wildly successful in other fields, you know, put mm-hmm. the time and money and energy into writing uh-huh. is that you're always a beginner. Yes. 
and um, you're always a beginner uh-huh. and you have to be a beginner. And that's what's terrifying about it, too. That's why people don't like it. They say, oh, I want my next novel to be written in a much more efficient manner. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, like, I have no idea what it's about. Right. right. So that's that's the joyous thing about being a, always being a beginner. And every time every time I go out to write my three pages and I think, wouldn't it be fun not to? It's because I don't really know how to write until I start. Mm-hmm. Once you and, get going, you once you get going, well, you I mean, do. And it's like riding I think, a bike. No, I mean, could you imagine if an architect was like, you know, every building is totally different down to the physics. <laughs> so some buildings have less gravity than others. Okay, like, so that's certain, not really what happens. There's happened. a certain amount of writerly bullshit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing my notes as we go. Angie calls out writerly That's going to be right in there in the I, show notes. You know, I'm going to have to edit this and like totally bleep that out. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. I it's do. a podcast. It's a podcast mm-hmm. that has to be... They, they passed all new rules recently. Seriously. Serial. They're like, let's roll back everything about the environment and then let's bleep out podcasts. Oh, you don't know, dude. Really, that is the agenda. Ugh. Anyway. Ugh. So... That's what it's all about. <laughs> it's all about bleeping podcasts. Anyway. All right. Angie calls out writerly bleep. I really <laughs> feel like you need to listen to this again. So my major thing is, again, trying to really bring us back to the point of this podcast. And I am not normally the one who does that. Isn't it fun? It's so good. Switch. (laughs) Uh, So I've given my two cents about approaching the new year with a beginner's mind. And um, if you're someone who feels like, oh, I've been doing this for so long, Find something that you can be a beginner at and enjoy um, and see what I it feels like that. to approach your work with, you know, the same kindness you might give yourself if you were to approach something that you've never done before. I'm glad that gave me my steal this, which I'll, okay. I'll, um, should I, I'll wait. I'll wait a minute. We're 26 minutes Do you want me to offer it? some kind yeah, of wisdom too? So or no? now it's time for... <laughs> Steal this. Amateur poets borrow, borrow, professional professional poets steal. steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? All right, so mine, just piggybacking off your your advice, is I am reading, and I'm actually, confession, listening to the Milkman by mm. Anna Burns, which is which won. Why the is that a confession? Booker. Well, that's the whole listening to thing. Do you feel like that's not valid? You know, Leo, who listens to audiobooks almost every waking moment, right. has told me it's not valid. Um, and Leo, just so that you know, is 12. a 12-year-old child who lives in our house. <laughs> but not just randomly, we did pick him, but just to say. We even made him. We made him. But um, anyway, the point is um, that, well, it's interesting because I own it in like every possible format and... Um, Anyway, I'm listening to it. But actually, at one point, when I wasn't feeling well, I was lying down. I was listening to it and reading it, mm-hmm, which was mm-hmm. absolutely... I put it pretty pretty fast because I realized I read much faster than I listen. Uh-huh. And it was just fabulously blissful because, you know, I'm a person who can't listen without and sit down usually or lie down. Mm-hmm. I usually have to be cleaning the house or folding laundry. I get a lot done when I'm in a, in a book that I really love. Mm-hmm. But this, because I needed to lie down, I was reading and listening because the listening, I mean, it just her accent is fabulous. The way she reads it is fabulous. Whomever it is. 
And um, anyway, the voice of the book, the, the syntax and the, the playfulness of the language is very beginner's mind. Mm. It's, um, it breaks out of what we're familiar with in literature and gives us kind of what maybe what we're familiar with in certain quirky spoken. Do you think that's a selling people. point? Because it sounds what? like yeah. beginner's mind mm-hmm. in a published book. No, 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 no. It's like it's originality. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's, okay. It's um, playfulness. It was like really it's, engaging with these other. It's playfulness, but it's also um, it's that it's the one of my favorite things that when I read it, it's like you can do that. You can mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what it is. It's like, oh, this is something I'm deeply familiar with as a human being, but I've not quite read it. Uh-huh. I'm sure it's like reminiscent of some other folks. A I'm little sure. bit Joycean and You're, all you know, I think you've talked about like reading non-famous people's stuff and thinking it's like totally amazing and then realizing it's completely derivative. derivative. And so I think right now you're actually trying to balance the... Right, like maybe, <laughs> maybe if I'd read more Joyce, I wouldn't be as impressed. Yeah. I know, I, I, I had a lot of, like there was a point when I was teaching at St. Mary's where a lot of people were imitating Cormac McCarthy and I hadn't really read Cormac McCarthy. So it was like, well, this is certainly something I have never seen before, but it's like, but they had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but this did win the Booker, so, so I think those people are more educated than I am around, and that it is actually Joycean. it is yes. genuinely. No, it was just your your sort of backpedaling on that. Anyway, I like it. That's great, and you'll like own it. Too. it. You have own to read it because it, it's our book club pick. Yes, you must read it. What format do you think you'll choose? Uh probably reading because I started listening to it, and uh, it was a little bit. Disturbing. disturbing well the opening chapter is though i think that's just the chapter all right so but, i don't know reading. we'll find out yeah, yeah, yeah we'll find out all right and your steal this my steal this is actually a book called the antidote mm. and it is a non-fiction book that's sort of a, a response to the self-help industry mm. and it's by oliver berkman berkman yes and I think he's British. But anyway, um, you know, it's really sort of looking at things we would, you know, in, in our pursuit of happiness, we often kind of run the wrong way. So one example, one thing I'm sort of loving is like, um, you know, the notion that um, like the, the more you struggle towards happiness, like the less happy you feel. Hmm. Um, or things like, uh, you know, and this one's probably extra poignant for me, is that whole thing about like, oh, like, can you find a relationship with death mm. that allows you to really be present in life? Mm. Right. And so um, he talks about like cultures where uh, people are in communication with death on a regular basis. And so, you know, he mentions day of the dead, you know, and talks about that. You talk about our sort of current denial of mortality and how that actually doesn't give us a, um, comfort Mm -hmm. doesn't offer solace. Um, because we're, 
it's still there. People still die. We still have all of those things, right? <laughs> but we kind of pretend like, oh, if I exercise enough, that won't happen. Right. Um, or even like suffering, right? Like we have this notion that that shouldn't happen. That if you're doing the right thing, suffering mm-hmm. won't happen. And the truth is, okay, well, the Buddhists say, okay, great. Uh, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And mm-hmm. so... Sure, that sounds fantastic, but the truth is maybe if we didn't fight against things that are inevitable, we could get to that more uh, experiencing the pain and not getting stuck in it. Right. Kind of but then that might not be suffering. That might be the whole Buddhist thing. I, I'm, I'm yeah. just saying that like the, the, the notion that we can exercise our way out of reality... Or exorcise. Yes, but mostly exercise. And, (laughs) you know, that that we can do that. Or that if we're upset or if we're hurt or if there's things going on in our lives, it's part of what life is. And so when we stop struggling to have this perfect happiness, we actually come to a place of balance. Yeah. That's just not really part of our narrative. Well, and the thing that I, I mean, even from my morning pages this morning, right, is that if you're not experiencing the hard stuff, you're not experiencing the good stuff either. Mm. And then if you're trying to tap into your character's goddamn emotions, yeah, you might not be able to if yeah. you're just all numb. Yeah. Yeah. So go out there, be, dare to be a beginner, dare to be original, dare to feel, dare to suffer. Dare to hurt, dare to not exercise, (laughs) dare to write.